Praise God. Before we get started, I'd like to lift up a few people in prayer. And um, we have a Mercedes, if you, you guys know, that uh, her mom's been in the hospital for some time. And, and uh, she's been put on hospice, so she's at home now. And uh, they're taking real good care of her. I really appreciate Mercedes's love for her mom. Kind of reminds me of the way we take care of our mom as well. And, and just the family dynamics, the same thing is that, that happens in my family as well. I mean, there's just a lot of things going on. So let's remember Mercedes' mom in prayer uh, today as we go to the Lord in prayer. Anyone else? Okay, we'll pray for Matt's procedure in the morning. Okay, anyone else? All right, will do. What's his name? Aurelio. Okay, will do. And uh, we'll pray for those that are, aren't with us today. We're going to continue to pray for um, for Ralph and Marcella. Ralph had a liver transplant here just a few months ago, a couple months ago. We also pray for Lucy and for um, Lucy and Manny that we're attending here, and for Joan as well that watches online, and and for just anybody else that you might think of in your mind, you can't think of it right now, or don't want to just speak it on any prayer petition that you might have, just go ahead and uh, voice it amongst yourselves in, in your mind, and, and just thank God and ask God, because God listens and God hears. Uh, the, he hears the prayers of those that are His, His redeemed. And, and Lord, we know that you have given us the opportunity to communicate with you in such a powerful way. We, we know that it is only because of, of Jesus Christ that we have this ability, this one way, uh, talk to you and you speak to us through your word. And so, Father, we ask not that you change things because you've already set things in motion. We ask not that you make things happen because all that's going to happen has already happened and will happen. And Father, there's nothing that it's going to, to do except for to change us and help us to understand the process of life and, and how things take place in life. And yes, this is a broken world. Yes, this is a sinful world. And we're all sinners. And because of sin, we have, we have upon us, which we know is called your wrath, the wrath of God. And we know that be only because of Jesus Christ that we have been saved from you, and essentially from your wrath because of who you are. You chose, you elect, you, you predestined those to be saved and to be loved by you. And so, Father, we take this very seriously and we know that, that in the prayer of the saints that, that much takes place. It, it gives us comfort. It gives us peace to know that you are still in control. And so we lift up these prayers for you. We lift up to you Mercedes and her mom and, and Father, just the many years of love that she's been able to pour out on her children, her grandchildren, and yes, even some of the great grandchildren. And we thank you for, for how you've, you've worked through her life. And I pray for Mercedes and her family and all the children that are being involved right now and, and, and are hurting and, and are wondering what's going to happen next. And Lord, just give them the peace that surpasses all understanding that only comes from you. We pray for Matt and, uh, and we ask God that you, you continue to give Jane the ability to minister to Matt as he goes through this procedure tomorrow morning. Give him the, the confidence and to, to know that you are Lord and that you are Savior and there is no other one that is going to be able to, to get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that that becomes very real in his life even now as he goes for this procedure in the morning. We pray, pray for Aurelio and we thank you, God, for Eileen's dad and, and for, for uh, Richard and Eileen and their love for each other and for you and, and how they lift up their father. Father, you know what's going on in his life. You know what's happening around him, but give him the peace that he needs as well and give the family comfort to know that you are totally in control of that situation as well. As you have been with Ralph and with Marcella, and you've given Ralph a new lease on life, and you're helping him as to grow, uh, to be an individual that is going to know you and, and to proclaim who you are. For Lucy and for Manuel and, and uh, God, just the, the struggles that they've been through the last couple of years. And for Joan, that continually look, looks up to you and, and, and reflects on your word. And we thank you for her faithfulness. And, and Father, for those that are, are part of this church and here and that are 
are hurting for other reasons that they know that you have already heard and they know that they're going to be expecting an answer from you soon and, and they know that you have it all in, under control. Just give each one of us the ability to, to move forward, to be able to persist and, and have that persistence and that perseverance of the saints that you've called us to have, knowing that we are all locked inside of you and with you because of the Holy Spirit. And Father, this morning, as we go through this portion of Scripture, help us to understand it. Give us the understanding of Scripture from the original meaning, the original intent, and help us to apply it to our life today. So thank you, Father, once again for this opportunity and this time, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen Amen and Amen. All right, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. We're going to be going through part two of Ephesians 5. As I mentioned last week, we didn't get through the whole thing. But we're going to go over just a little bit on part of what we talked about. You know, you know as, uh, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's interesting that Paul, in this whole process, now comes to the point of, of sharing with you how all of this that he's going to share with you is going to be done. And how it is that we can walk by the Spirit in chapter 4, verse 1. How we are to be imitators of God. And how we are able to uh, be, be, uh, sustain ourselves or uh, remove ourselves from sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness. How we're able to do these things even though the world is so involved in our lives and we're so involved in the world. And there's a lot of filthy language and a lot of... Uh, talk and foolish talk or crude joking. This is how we are to do this. From a human standpoint, it is almost impossible. Some people can probably have that self-discipline to do it. Some people have, have, done, the, have done the work and have done the, the exercises they need through a 12-step program. Some have even changed their vocabulary. Some have even changed their residence because they know that the influences around them have caused them to do all these things that the Bible says. And many people say, you know, I can do this and I don't need the church. I don't need God to tell me how to do this. But you cannot continue on throughout life and, and worship God and the loving God and especially in all the things that are, are to come unless you are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And Paul knows this. Paul knows this. He's, he's not talking just to us, though we are the recipients of this letter, but he was talking to the people in Ephesus. In Ephesus, as I mentioned to you, when he said, do not get drunk on wine, and we spent a lot of time on that, so I'm not going to go over that a lot. But when he, when he said, don't get drunk on wine, he's not talking about being drunk and, and partying and that kind of stuff, you know, just, just because you can or just because you like to or you want to, which what we took a lot of time in, and you might want to listen to last week's message, we took a lot of time into looking into that uh, drunkenness. Though that's not what Paul is talking about here, we looked at drunkenness, that it is a sin, how, how it looks and how it, it, it's, it's viewed in the Old Testament, how it's viewed in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Paul says drunkards are not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven if they continue on in this habit. And they continue on in this, this stupor, this mind-altering type of behavior. But Paul is not talking about this, though that's what the Bible talks about. Paul is really referring to the type of religious worship that used to take place at that time. And in order to get closer to the gods, the people really believed that all they had to do was just induce themselves and drink this wine and drink this alcohol beverage. And we went through the different types of wines that they had back then. And, and the wine that fermented and got them really drunk. And they would drink and drink and drink. And they would have these in the temples. They would have these areas, these chambers called vomitarians. And these vomitarians were, you know, you'd get so drunk, you'd go to these vomitarians and you'd just vomit all this stuff and you'd go back and party some more. Now, I never knew they had those types of things, but I think that's what I used to do as well, you know, back in the day. But we're not talking about the moral issue of drunkenness. Paul is talking theologically 
as to not do this. You see, the people that came out of Ephesus in the surrounding areas, they came out of that type of worship style. They would go into these temples with these priests and they would, they would have these orgies and, and all these, these different types of activities that would supposedly get them closer to the gods. And they would drink themselves to the point of hysteria and, and hallucinate, hallucinating and they would fall on the ground and they would laugh and they would chatter and talk gibberish and, and they would try to get themselves all worked up into this ecstasy. You know, imagine a rave. I don't know if you know what a rave is, but imagine a rave where everybody's high and stoned and drunk and, and just partying and jumping up and down and just doing some crazy things that you generally wouldn't do. Well, I shouldn't say that. I know there's some people that still do that, even if they're not in the rave. But the music is going and bouncing and loud and, and, and just getting all worked up. But imagine that in church. See, when Paul was talking to the people in 1 Corinthians, when he's talking to them in chapters 12, 13, and 14 about the, the, the misuse of spiritual gifts, he's telling them, don't bring that outside stuff in here. All this gibberish, all this stuff that you guys are talking about. You're confusing this, the spirit, the speaking in tongues, with the worship, the actual worship. And Paul says, okay, don't get drunk on wine to do your worship. Don't get drunk on wine to be controlled by it. You don't need that anymore. Don't be so drunk on, and, and today they call it being drunk on the Holy Spirit. There used to be a guy uh, on, you know, I'll give you his name, Andre Crotch. You probably remember him. And what he used to do on stage is he would get up there and, and roll a, an imaginary joint. And he would smoke this imaginary joint. And he would say, let's all get high on the Holy Spirit. He would go to the extent of going and, and pretending that he had a needle. And he'd say, we're all going to just inject ourselves with the Holy Spirit. And this is how people were responding to this safer, you know, preacher of, of sorts, this prophet of sorts, to get people all worked up into their congregations and people would just get all high and dumb and fall all over the place. And Paul is saying, don't do that. You need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so there's been this huge misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit in his work within our life. And so I want to start off with that. We talked a little bit about it last week, but I just want to, we need to understand what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't understand what's being filled by the Holy Spirit is, then it's difficult to do the rest of Ephesians chapters 5 and, and chapter 6. As a matter of fact, it's difficult to do Christianity if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and you see, the Bible never commands you to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Bible never commands you to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't command you to be sealed, or the, the Bible never commands you to ask for an infilling, or to ask for a falling upon you, or to rain down upon you. The Bible commands. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a command. Every time God speaks, it's a command. This is something that you must do to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is that we have all these different types of varieties of how the Holy Spirit is to fill you. And people will ask, did you receive the Holy Spirit? I remember when I first became a Christian, I was working for an insurance company and I was going from house to house talking to some of my, some of my clients and, uh, and I mentioned to them, yeah, you know, I just just got saved. Really? I says, yeah, I got saved. And, and I, I'm, you know, I'm, everything's working out pretty good. And, and they said to me, did you receive the Holy Spirit? I go, well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, are you sure? Did you receive? Well, yeah. I mean, the moment I was saved, they said I got the Holy Spirit. But are you sure? I go, well, what do you mean? Did you start speaking in tongues? Because if you didn't start speaking in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I go, really? I didn't know that. All right, well, how do you do that? And they go, well, let us pray for you. And they did. And I was very sincere. I was very green. I didn't know much. And I says, you know, how come my pastor didn't tell me this stuff? How come I didn't learn about this stuff at church when I went to? And it was a Baptist church. And so there I am. They're praying over me. They put their hands on me. His wife puts his hands on me. And here's the really... Well, let me, anyways, as they are going and going and going and I'm feeling the pressure and all you got to do is just, just talk, just follow us, follow us. And they would give me the words to say and I'm, I'm trying to say them, but, you know, I just, it didn't work. And I, I left there dejected. I left there thinking, man, you know, how come my pastor didn't tell me this stuff? What's going on there? How come I don't have this Holy Spirit that they're talking about? And it's interesting because all these 
I would say probably a few months, I was going to say years, but months that I've known them and I would communicate with them. Never once, never once did they ever say to me, you know, you need to be saved. Jesus Christ needs to take control of your life. Jesus died on the cross for sinners. And if you repent, he will save you. Never once did they say that. The moment I said, I'm a Christian now. Oh, well, let us set you straight. Let us set you straight as to how it is that you are to be saved. Well, of course, naturally, I went back to my pastor and says, hey, how come you never told me about this Holy Spirit? And he says, well, who told you that? And as he started to unfold, and he took me through a study of the Holy Spirit, his responsibility, what he does in the believer's life. He, he, what the Holy Spirit does is he indwells you first and foremost. And I'm going to go through a few of these things right now in your passage, in the, in the scriptures that we have here. But a spirit-filled church is, is not controlled by anything else, but a spirit-filled church is controlled, number one, by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is just a, taken off from where we left off last week is controlled by the Holy Spirit and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. That is the worst type of thing that you can do. It just You're leaving yourself to all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, here's something that they used to use in worship. Paul called it witchcraft. Don't get involved in witchcraft. And you know that the term for witchcraft in Greek, the word for witchcraft in Greek is pharmakia. Now you tell me, what does that sound like? Pharmakia, pharmacy, drugs. And any time that you are involved in any type of hallucinogenic, you're opening yourself up to witchcraft. Drugs of any type, of any type that you, you use to alter your mind or alter your... Now, I understand there are drugs that help you. Okay, and there's a difference between that and the drugs that alter your mind to, to feel different, to forget things. But they were using this pharmakia which Paul calls witchcraft, and today we use that word to pharmacy or drugs. And, and, and they would use it to be able to elevate themselves to the state of gods, and to be gods, and to feel like the gods. And, and Paul had nothing. He had no understanding of what Pentecost was except for what they told him. He wasn't there. As a matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 of Acts, 4, Acts 2, verse 4, the Holy Spirit came down upon them. Not long after that, Peter preached a sermon. Not long after that, they raised up some deacons. Not long after that, Stephen started proclaiming the gospel. Not long after that, as soon as he started proclaiming the gospel, they captured him they, and they stoned him, and not with drugs. They stoned him with rocks and, uh, and they, they, they laid him out. And, and right before that, right after he, as he was dying and right before he died, he looked up full of the Spirit you know, he was full of the Spirit. He wasn't flopping around, talking in tongues or anything else. He was full of the Spirit. And he saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father in approval. It's the only place you'll see Jesus standing. Right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But right there, he's standing in approval. And Stephen sees him and says, look, I see Jesus. standing." And they yelled even louder. And there was a man there named Saul, who later became Paul. That gave approval. He was holding the guy's coats. You know, I'm not going to kill him, but you guys go ahead and kill him. I'll hold you guys' coats. And Saul gave approval to this murder of a saint. And, and, and so when, you are, when, when the Holy Spirit came down, Saul saw the effects of it, which later became Paul, but he wasn't at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, turn with me because this is going to take a little bit of time. Turn with me. In Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, we see that Jesus had told the disciples, he says, go and they go and wait, wait to see what's going to take place. Wait, wait to see what's going to happen. And um, let me back up just a little bit. In Matthias chapter, uh, excuse me, in Acts chapter one, verse 12. Matthias is chosen to replace Judas when they were when they left Jesus Christ. Jesus ascended into heaven and in chapter 1, verse 12, they're all, they all returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Not the one that hung himself, Judas Iscariot. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devouting themselves to prayer. 
together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Do not ever think what the world tells you about the church hating women. They were there. They were praying and they were worshiping and they were all praying together. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. The very first thing they did is they went straight to the word. They had a Bible study and they, they deciphered it. They opened it up and they started expounding on it. Yeah, you know what? That's what the Bible. Remember, the scriptures had to be uh, had to be uh, fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, he didn't only come down on Pentecost. He used to come every single time when God needed a job done. He would come at a specific time to a specific purpose for a specific task at a specific place. And once the Spirit came down upon the person, then the Holy Spirit would leave them. And the person wasn't out, you know, they spoke tongues, they spoke languages, we'll get into that a little bit, but they were, they were in, dwelt with this super uh, ability to be able to accomplish the task that God would give them. And once the task was done, the Holy Spirit would leave. David, as he says here, spoke, who, who, uh, he, as which the Holy Spirit spoke. And, and is another thing you need to understand, it's the Holy Spirit that speaks through his word. It's not... David, it's not Paul, it's not James, it's not Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's the Holy Spirit that carries these men and uses them to proclaim what he wants them to know. This is why the Bible is one unique book. People say, well, you know, men wrote that book. Yeah, they wrote it in a period of about 1,200 years. In about 1,200, think about this. 1,200 years, this Bible has been being laid out and written out and put together. And finally, once it was complete, God put it together. Everything that He wants us to know. We don't need anything else. We don't need a prophet to, to give us new revelation. We don't need an apostle to give us new revelation. God's revealed Word is here. He has revealed everything we need right there. I don't need somebody else to come up and tell me, well, God said this. People tell me that all the time, and I tell them, you know, usually, well, you know, I met with God this morning, and He didn't say anything to me about that, so I don't know. <laughs> Where you heard that from? What, what you're listening to? You might be listening to something, but I, I can guarantee you it's not God's Word. As I've said many times before, if it agrees with God's Word, I don't need it. If it doesn't agree with God's Word, I don't want it. All I need is God's Word. That's it. We have what's called a closed canon. Everything between this leather bound and that leather bound page is closed. And it's closed and God's revealed word is in here. We have not even begun to scratch the surface of what's all in there. And then you're going to tell me something new is going to come in? See, the problem with that is when somebody comes in and says, we have a new revelation. Okay, and let's just say we accept it because it sounds good. That means that I have to bring in other revelation. Well, I've got another revelation too. Well, I got another revelation too. And the problem with that is that, you know, if it's genuinely from God, if it really is from God, you know, this, this is, sounds right. If it really is, then maybe we should add it to the pages of what we already have. Oh, wait a minute. Revelation 22 says, do not add any more words to this book. Do not take away any other words of this revelation. You see, and so when Peter is talking and he's saying, you know, that the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David and David was filled by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would leave him. This is why he would say, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I, I feel so empowered. I feel so I, I understand and I can see what God is doing. And, and the moment the Holy Spirit leaves, well, of course, you know, I fall into sin and I fall into all kinds of things. And so... At that time, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, let's go over to uh, verse 5. Now, now there were, okay, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared 
uh, to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Last week I mentioned these tongues, glossolalia, is languages. It's translated into languages or tongues. But basically what they're saying is that they spoke in a language that, that was not their own. And right away people say, well, no, this is the, this is the speaking in tongues. And they, they attribute a lot of the gibberish, a lot of the things that people are doing in today's culture as speaking in tongues, which we have no evidence of that whatsoever. So in chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down, there was evidence. There was something that sounded like the mighty rushing wind. There was something that sat upon them like tongues of fire. There was something upon them. There was something different. Something was going on, and it captured the attention of everyone in the city. What is going on up there? And, and as they were coming together, now in, in verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them in his own language. Again, I talked about this last week. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? The languages that these men were speaking were languages, tongues, in their own native languages. They were listening to what they heard, and there's a list of here, 16 of them. And they were amazed at all this, and they said, what does this mean? As a matter of fact, they accused them of being drunk with new wine. And Peter says, it's, we're not drunk. As a matter of fact, and he, he began to proclaim the message. And as he spoke, people in their own languages heard in their language. And they heard the gospel message. This is very key. You have to understand that the book of Acts, it's placed strategically right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the gospel of whom? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes on the scene. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John explain to us who Jesus is. And now there is this new order. There is a new covenant that Jesus made with his people, that God made with his people. God himself being Jesus. And so Acts is placed right after that, and then come the letters and everything else. Acts is a transitional book from the Old Testament, which Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is still considered to be the old, when Jesus Christ sends the Holy Spirit, that becomes the new covenant. They were trained ahead of time, and now it's time to go forward. And the message is to be proclaimed in all Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the world. It's got to be proclaimed everywhere. And I don't know if they thought about, how are we going to do that? Are we going to get translators? Are we gonna get, how are we going to translate to everybody? I don't know if they really thought about that, but it became very clear at the day of Pentecost when they were speaking in other people's languages, and other people heard it. And if you go through this whole story here, what it'll tell you is that as they were filled, they were cut to the heart. They were cut, the Bible says. And, and therefore, what they did is they said, what shall we do? Brothers, verse 29, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in this, and his tomb is with us this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. There was a gospel message. It wasn't the Romans road. It wasn't evangelism explosion. It wasn't G-R-A-C-E, grace. It wasn't anything else but the Old Testament. They didn't have the information we have today. All they used was the Old Testament. David talked about this. Jesus Christ is coming, the Messiah. They thought it was going to be somebody from the ground, somebody you know, raised up like from David. They didn't realize that the Holy One to be born was going to be from God Himself, God Himself incarnate. And so as he taught them, as he led them, he showed them what it is that is to come and how it is that they are to be, uh, to, to live. And look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then you murdered him. Now, when they heard this, 
They were cut to the heart. The gospel message always cuts to the heart. The gospel message always cuts and you sense this convicting power of something that has to, trans, uh, has to take place. Something has to be transformed. Something has to be done different because that's exactly what happened to them. And then they said to the apostles, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the, to, and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And they said, what, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. He didn't say to raise your hand. He didn't say to come forward and pray the sinner's prayer. He boldly proclaimed what I'm boldly proclaiming to you right now. If you are in sin, if you sense God's heart, your heart being cut because of God's word of what, Je- what happened to Jesus Christ, because of your sin, if you're being convicted right now, you don't need to come forward. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to do anything else but repent. That's not a suggestion. That is a command that you and I must repent. And from repentance comes forgiveness of sin. When God wakes you up, when you understand His Word, when you understand what He's doing, repentance is automatic. I've offended a holy God. I've I've broken every one of your laws, God. I've dealt very severely with your Word and, and, and been very flippant about your Word. I don't know if you guys heard about what happened in Phoenix, I think, Tempe, Arizona. This comedian that was talking about, you know, herself, how she was vaccinated, how she's got the shingle shots and she did all this other stuff and she's all happy and she's, you know, and start, you know, talking about Jesus. And, you know, Jesus must love me the most. And as soon as she said that, boom, she fell back, fell on the stage, cracked her head open and was in a coma for several days. And I mean... People do this all the time. Why it happened to her, I have no idea. But you cannot mock God. You cannot. And get away with it for too long. And when these men heard what had happened, who Jesus Christ was, they were there for a different festival. They heard this noise. They listened in their own language. They were able to be convicted because of the word. Their first response is, what do we do? Yeah, we were there. Repent. And it's difficult to repent without the indwelling of the Spirit. Let me take you to another verse. Acts chapter 4, while you're there. Verse 31. And if you don't have your Bible, you can look up here. It'll be up there. The Bible says in Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You want to know what the, word of, what the Holy Spirit does for you? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't speak in tongues. You don't flop around. You don't jump from pew to pew hanging on chandeliers. You speak with boldness. What? The word of God. You speak what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Look at, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. You see, there's got to be an evidence of your boldness, of your ability to, to be able to decipher what the Word of God says. When, when the church started to grow, they stoned Stephen, as I mentioned to you. And what happened is that everybody took off and they, they started going in different directions. In chapter 7, they picked these seven men. Stephen was one of them that was full of the Spirit. Not that he was speaking in tongues or going all over the place, but he spoke with authority the word of God. And they they picked him out amongst a few others and they appointed him as a deacon. He was stoned and he was left for dead and he he died. And in chapter 8, what happens is as they're going all over the place, they're they're talking to various people. and, And in verses 14 and 15, now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that, and they were going into different places. Now, if you remember that the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. There was this racial conflict. There was this racial conflict going on. And the Jews thought they, you know, they says, no, God is for us. And the Samaritans says, no, no, it, God's for us. Now, just a little bit of history on the Samaritans. When Jerusalem got invaded and got all the, all the people were taken into captivity, this is like 500 years before Christ, what happened is that they left all the weak, all the 
old, all the people, all the Jewish people that really didn't matter. They took all the smart and all the uh, strong people with them to Babylonia and they raised them up there. That's where Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were at. And that's, that's where all of that, that's where they were at. And they learned and they deciphered King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Daniel, you'll read that. Those that were left behind were the Jews and as the occupying countries came in, they started to intermingle and, and uh, marry within themselves. And, and so they were half Jews and half something else. So when the Jews came back and built the temple, they looked at these Samaritans like, oh man, you guys are half-breeds. You guys aren't Jews. And they got mad because, well, you guys think you're Jews. And so there was this racial tension that Samaritans hated the Jews. As a matter of fact, every time that people would travel from Jerusalem up north or, or wherever they were going, they would always go around into the desert just to avoid touching a Samaritan. The Samaritan woman at the well, if you remember her, people said, you know, why is she talking to, first of all, a woman and a Samaritan at that? And the apostles went in to get some food and they came back with, without food. And the women, after she talked to Jesus Christ and told her everything that she had experienced, she went in and brought out the whole town. Think about that one for a moment. The Samaritan is the parable that Jesus tells about the good Samaritan. There's a priest and a Levite and a teacher that, that passed this man that was all beaten up. And the parable says that the Samaritan was the one that had compassion upon him. I go, oh, yuck, you mean a Samaritan? Now think about the worst racial tension that you can think of. That's the tension that they had here. The apostles. Paul killed Stephen. They go, they go scattered everywhere. They end up in Samaria. And they figured, you know what? If we go here, nobody will know we're here. Because they won't think that we're hiding out in Samaria. And they're hiding out in Samaria. And they come to know who Jesus Christ is. What happened? They were listening. The Holy Spirit was affecting. And look at what happens here in verse 14. And when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, okay, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They heard the message. They understood it. People were wanting to get saved and wanting to understand it, but something had to happen. Peter and John went down and prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit for he. Now, notice every time they talk about the Holy Spirit, they always call him a he, not an it, not a spirit, but he. He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When people read this, they say, well, that's how you receive the Holy Spirit. Come on up here and I'll lay my, my hands on you and you just start saying whatever you want, you know. Barahanda, Shudabarhali, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, whatever it is that you want, just say it and just say it over and over again. And then there, that means you're filled with the Spirit. And, and, and when they did this, when they did this, they did this because the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. How can you refuse a person that is evidently displaying what the Holy Spirit is doing. The people had to stand back and say, wait a minute, how did that happen? These guys are Samaritans. You see, because here's what would have happened. If the Samaritans would not have been infused with the Holy Spirit and given the ability of what the Holy Spirit was able to do to authenticate the gospel message, because that's what it's for, is to authenticate the gospel message. And you say, well, doesn't he authenticate the gospel message now? Yes, he does. But he doesn't need you to speak in tongues. Number one, it, it stopped happening after the book of Acts and a little bit into, into 1 Corinthians. It stopped happening. Number two, the Bible has been written. You have all of God's revelation there. Number three, it's been translated into various languages. You don't have to proclaim it in another language. It's already. Number four, you have translators that can translate for you. People, the gospel message got out. And so that miraculous event, it doesn't have to be authenticated. Well, how does it get authenticated? Here's how it gets authenticated. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit and your life is different. I had somebody tell me just this last week, you? I, I, ran, across a, 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 I ran across an old friend that I went to Sunday school with, of all places, you know? That I, you know, got out of there, we went to junior high together, we went to elementary together, went to high school together, and parted ways. 
And then he says, hey, I heard that you were a pastor. You a pastor? <laughs> yeah, I got saved. You know, the Lord just placed his Holy Spirit in me. Wow, that's, that's amazing. You see, the evidence to authenticate what God is doing in your life is a changed life. And it's noticeable. It's not just saying I come to church. It's not just saying, you know, instead of going to the Super Bowl party, I'm going to come to church and watch it here. It's not carrying a big old Bible around. It's not even doing good things. It is your life that is changed. And see, what Paul has been talking about from the very beginning, you got to walk the talk. You got to be imitators of God. You got to put away all these worldly desires. You've got to, if you're a Christian, be a Christian. Say you're a Christian. Not only say it, but live to be a Christian. And they saw the evidence. These people, the, the only evidence that they, because these guys were very religious as well. They were very religious. But the evidence was a changed life. And in them, they were able to speak in a language that wasn't known to them. If you understand that the book of Acts is a transitional book, getting the message out. Let me, let me just share with you a few more. Uh, chapter 11, verse, verse 15. Peter reports to the church. Now, what's happening here in chapter 10, Peter is, is on, the, on the top of a roof. And he's out on top of a roof and he's getting hungry and, it, and he's praying. He's praying to God and all of a sudden he gets hungry. And then he sees this vision. It just comes down in a sheet and there's all these snakes and reptiles and all kinds of things in there. And God says, kill and eat. Peter says, I ain't eating none of that stuff. God, you know that's unclean. That's, you told us not to eat these things. And it, the, the vision goes up and it comes back and down again. Peter, you're hungry. Kill and eat. Peter says, no. And the third time he did it again. And then God says, do not call unclean what I call clean. See, for the Jewish person, Samaritans were unclean. To the Jewish person, Gentiles were unclean. It's the Jewish nation and everybody else. You can lump in there all the Mexicans, Italians, Germans, Russians. Everybody else is a Gentile. Jews and everybody else, Gentiles. And for them, the Jewish people, everybody else was unclean. We are God's people. We're God's chosen. And God loves us. And He's got everything for us. Their problem was that they didn't take what Abraham had said. They shall be a blessing to all the nations, all the tongues. They were supposed to be. And what they did is they said, okay, you can be part of our Jewish nation, but you have to follow our rules and our customs. You got to be circumcised. You got to follow the Torah. You got to go follow all the, the, the festivals and the celebrations and all that. And that's how people became Jewish, even though there were different traditions or different genetics, I guess you would say. But here... Cornelius gets a vision. He says that there's a guy. Cornelius was a centurion. He was a, a leader of an, an Italian army. And so he was a Gentile. And, but he was a God lover. He loved God. He, he would give alms to the brothers. He would give gifts and, and all kinds of money. And, and he would pray continuously. And he would look to God, even though he was a Gentile. And then a, a, an angel showed up to Cornelius and he says, there's a man named Simon. He's staying at the, at the house of Simon the Tanner, but I want you to ask for Simon Peter, the rock. Ask for him and have him to come down. So as soon as he came out of that trance, there was a knock on the door and says, hey, my master says to come see him. And says, all right, I'll go. And he walks in and Peter even says, you know, it's not right for me to come into your house, but because you sent for me and I saw this vision, I'm going to share with you what it is that God gave me. And Cornelius says, share with us. He shared the gospel message, and they all received the Holy Spirit. Now you got the Samaritans. First of all, you got the Jews. They received the Holy Spirit. There's a whole new thing. You got the Samaritans, which was close to Jewish people. And now you got the Gentiles. They now received the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, there was a huge uprising. Gentiles can't be part of this. They cannot be part of this. They had this council meeting. They says, yeah, they have to be part of it. As a matter of fact, there's only, well, we, they got to be circumcised. And if you were with us during the book of Galatians, Galatians was exactly that. Against these Jewish people, we call them Judaizers, against these Jewish people that said, these Gentiles, if they want to be saved, they have to be circumcised. They have to follow the laws. They got, and, and Paul is saying, no, they don't. 
And they, they try to, oh, how do we do this? So they got together and they said, there's four things that I want you guys to tell Gentiles. They cannot evidently become Jewish. I don't think God wants them all to be Jewish. And they weren't supposed to. They weren't supposed to get circle. If they wanted to, they could. But there was four things, four musts. Number one, don't drink the blood of animals. Well, actually, number one was, do not eat meat that is sacrificed to idols. In other words, don't participate in sacrificial offerings as they do in, in the other churches or the other religions. Don't participate in that. And that can almost go to the point of saying, you know, I'm, I'm Christian, but yet I'm going to go to Buddha and, you know, kind of do that a little bit. I'm going to go to Confucius. I'm going to do that a little bit. I'm going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix up my, my religion just, just to be, just in case. I don't want to take nobody off. Okay? It's like the guys that were jumping out of a parachute and got one guy's system says, look, man, if your parachute doesn't open, pull the emergency chute. Yeah, I, I got that. And if that doesn't open, you pull, yeah, I know, I got to pull my uh, second emergency chute. Yeah. Now, if that doesn't open, then you need to start praying to Buddha. He says, what? Yeah, just start as loud as you can. Buddha, 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 Buddha. As loud. Just say his name over and over and over again. And a huge hand will come out and save you. He goes, really? So, get out of here. So guy jumps out of the airplane. Guess what happens? First shoot didn't work. Second shoot didn't work. And he's falling. And he's freaking out. And then he, then he remembers. Oh, Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. He starts crying. And a big hand came out and saved him. He goes, oh, thank God. Okay, that's just a joke. But people do this. They, they pray to, to idols. They, they light candles. They, they party with the, un, the unrighteous. And they, they do these things to try to get God's favor. God says, don't do that. Don't get involved in this hysterical worship. That's not the Holy Spirit. When Paul goes out and he says to them, says, look, what you, here's, what we came, we, here's what we came up with. There are all kinds of these laws. And one of the laws that we have is don't eat meat, sacrifice titles. Number two, don't drink the blood of an animal. Don't do that. We used to have what's called chocolate meat when I was a kid. My uncles raised animals and we'd go over and, of course, we'd party and eat chocolate meat. And the chocolate meat was basically all the organs uh, of the, the cow or the pig or, or the lamb or whatever. They took out all the organs. They chopped them up really good in little small pieces and they would boil them and they would fry them in blood. And we would, you know, they would spice it all up and we would eat chocolate meat. Now that, God says, don't do that. Well, I was young and dumb then. I'm, now I'm just old and dumb. But I was, I was really just, you know, I, I was ignorant. Thank God for his forgiveness. Amen. Do not eat an animal that has its blood uh, still inside of it. In other words, they would, what they would do sometimes is they would strangle the animal and leave the blood inside, and then they would cut it up and eat it that way. They would, you know, they would eat it that way because it was still inside. And the, way, the proper way to eat a, a, a slaughtered animal is to hang it upside down, cut the aorta, and let the blood drain out, let the life flow blood out, drain out. And what they would do is that they would cover it because it was sacred. That was the life blood, and they would cover it in, 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 a, in a, some sort of a ceremonial uh, covering of the blood of the animal. And, of course, the fourth thing was uh, abstain from sexual immorality. Four things. Sexual immorality, oh, that's just a given. You don't want to do that. But it all had to do with worship. And it all had to do with lifestyle. It all had to do with differences. And, 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 but the, the evidence of you being saved is the power of the Holy Spirit. Very quickly, let me just go through uh, Acts 19. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in tongues. And they were prophesying. Again, prophesying is not telling the future. Prophesying is being a spokesperson for God. When you speak for God in, in, through His Word, not because of something you came up with or something you heard last night, a dream, a vision, or whatever the case may be, or something that a prophet told you. You know, it's very difficult, you know, in today's day and age to decipher what is real and what's not. Go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. We talked about this. this is what the, these are the evidences of the speaking, uh, excuse me, of the being filled with the Spirit. And in John 14, John said this, Jesus said this, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. He knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells within you, and you will be, and He will be in you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is being sent by Jesus Christ to Get us ready 
and the Holy Spirit is placed inside your heart. And, and, and being in the Holy Spirit, when you are baptized by the Spirit, you're being baptized in order to be, um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13. Well, you know, let me, let me, in your outlines, in Romans 8, chapter 9, verse 9. Paul is saying, look, when you have the Spirit, you have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to you in doses. He doesn't come to you a little bit today, a little bit tomorrow, and then, you know, finally you get to the point where, okay, now you got the whole Holy Spirit. This is what they were trying to tell me. Yeah, you might have got the Holy Spirit when you got saved, okay? But you haven't gotten the full second blessing. Like, there's more? <laughs> you, you know, like, there, there's, okay, so what about the third blessing? You know, well, you got to get them all. And you got to ask for them. And so Paul says in Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. In other words, Paul is saying this, If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. When you become a believer, redeemed, God places His Holy Spirit in you. You are the temple of whom? The Holy Spirit. You are the, the, the residence where the Holy Spirit lives. He indwells you. He's already there. You don't have to ask for a second blessing. You don't have, if you're a Christian, you don't have to ask for uh, an indwelling. You don't have to ask for a, a baptism. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus said in John 7, 38, and 39, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, it's interesting because this is what Jesus said. In John, he adds the commentary, which he says, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit came down and he left people, came down, left people. That's how he operated. And then Jesus says, when you believe in me, you will have this river of living water. People will know that there is something different about you. You know, if the world hates you because of Jesus, then more than likely you're filled with the Holy Spirit. However, if the world hates Jesus because of you, that's a different problem. And I've talked to a lot of people. We, t we talked to somebody just recently. So, ah, you know, this and that, my kids, my family, you know, everybody else. Yeah, you know, they call themselves Christians. And, you know, you know I, I don't want anything to do with that. And I, my, first, my first, you know what, I, my first response was, I'm really sorry that you got beat up or people offended you because of Christ. That's not the intent. See, if people hate you because of Jesus, then that's a good thing. But if people hate Jesus because of you, there's something not right there. The Holy Spirit should be flowing through you in such a way. And, and, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into his body. You see, when you become a believer, you're baptized into his body. You're not baptized by the Spirit. You're baptized into his body. You become a member of his church. Jew or Greek, slave or free, all were made to drink. And so there, 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 there's that understanding of knowing that, that I, I don't need to wait to get baptized. I'm already in. The command that Paul has given us is be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, when you have the Spirit of God flowing through you, then we can do the things on the backside of your outline. We sing to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's inward. We sing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. You do that. The music that we sing to God needs to be different than the world. It's very hard sometimes to decipher, you know, is that the world music or is that God's music? It almost sounds the same. You know, it's, it's, it can't. It's got to be different. It's got to be different melodically. It's got to be different, different uh, as, as far as the, the tempo, the, a lot of things. Did you know that there are companies that spend thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, just to know what type of music is best for its customers to help them buy 
things. The music moves you. Music is spiritual. And if they have the right music, it'll soothe you, like elevator music. I still got that tune in my head. You go to the dentist if they have soothing music in the background. You go to a rave, that music is going to move you in such a way that, I mean, it's just kabam, 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 kabam. You know? I, you know, I am, I am literally amazed. It's just, I, I, I know how people do this. People pull in back here, you know, get their kids from the, the school, and they pull in, and the music is thumping, don't, don't, you know, and, and it's just effing this and be that, and they're picking up their kids, and they drive off with their kids in the back seat, and the kids be bopping ahead, this is cool music. I'm thinking, like, what? I mean, I, I mean, it's loud, first of all. I can hear what it's saying. I was like, who's doing that? Then I watch these guys, these parents bring their kids in and sit them in the car and buckle them in and let's go. You know, and they drop them off in the same way. No wonder kids are having problems in school. Music moves you. Christian music needs to be different. Every song that we sang today and every song that we sing is always tied to redemption. There is a new song. Look at what Psalm 149 says. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise is in the assembly of the godly. And in the future, when Jesus Christ returns and we're taken up, there's going to be a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God. And from every tribe and language and people, every new song is associated and tied very closely to redemption. You're redeemed. You're paid with the price. It should make you sing. doesn't matter what you sound like. Just sing it out and let people know that you have been redeemed. Number three. See, a spirit-filled church not only sings to the Lord. That's inward, by the way, if you didn't catch that. That's inward. Number three, a spirit-filled church is thankful to God, giving thanks What he says in verse 20, always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks. See, when you're spirit filled, you sing. Not in tongues, not falling around, but you sing in an intelligible voice. You give God glory. You're thankful. A spirit filled church, a spiritual person is one that says, thank you, Lord. You know, thank you. I I, I thank you, God, that, that, you know, I'm, I'm not as destitute. As some of the people around me. Somebody said that to me yesterday or the other day. You know, I, I sometimes I, I think, you know, God, why am I going through all of this? And then they, want, they look and see how people, other parts of the world are without anything. Really? Anything. Do you know that our garbage disposals here in the United States eat more than two-thirds of the world? Did you, we throw away more food and we eat till our heart's content where some people don't even get a meal like maybe once a week. You don't realize how blessed you We should be thank, thank God in every... How do I thank God? When do I thank God? Well, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. You mean even when I'm going through struggles? Yeah. Even when things are bad? Yeah. How about when things are good? Well, yeah, of course. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is? Be thankful. When you're spirit-filled, it's difficult. Look at what, what, uh, what happened to Paul and Silas in the book of Acts. And they were, they were in stocks and in chains. And stocks wasn't you know, just something that you put yourself like this and like that. You, know, you just kind of hang there like we see on TV. The stocks that they had in the Roman prisons where they would have all these holes that, that kind of extended out to the furthest extreme. And they would stick one arm as far as they could in that way. And one arm as far as they could in that way. And then one leg and the other leg as far as they could. That's what they were Stocked to, chained to. And the Bible says that they were singing songs. I probably would have been singing songs. Oh my God, woe is me. That's probably what I'd have been singing. But they were singing hymns. And they were praising God because of what they were going through. You know, and and I, I constantly, as I counsel with people, listen to Christian music. Listen to a hymn, sing a song, you know, listen to something, because that's what a redeemed person does in all situations. 
Give thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in all circumstances, because this is the will of God. Again, in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by His Spirit. And lastly, number four, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, because this is what we're going to next. A Spirit-filled church is submitted to one another. I submit to you. When you have a responsibility, when you have a chore, a job, a, a, a ministry that you're involved in here at the church, I submit to you. I belong to a motorcycle group that's called Bikers for Christ. And in the Bikers for Christ, they have what we call elders. Elders are the ones that oversee a chapter in the, in the area. My chapter elder, I submit to him. Though I'm his pastor, I submit to him because he is the elder. And we submit to one another. And the Bible says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, when we start talking about uh, wives submitting to the husbands, husbands submitting to the Lord, children submitting to their parents, workers submitting to their, 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 their bosses, and bosses submitting to, to one another, and, and, and all of it, 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 just, it just comes into a beauty, beautiful symphony instead of a cacophony making all kinds of noise. See, Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit, but in humility, count others more significantly than yourselves. And when you do this, when you when you treat everyone in that sense, you know I, I'm no better than you. I have a re- different responsibility. You're no better than me. You have different responsibilities. We all have different responsibilities in this church. That's what we did last night. We celebrated the different responsibilities that you have. And so love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If you want to outdo somebody, if you want to be better than somebody else, be better in outdoing them honor and showing honor. Showing honor to those that deserve honor and that need honor. Let me ask you to stand. There is a lot of confusion about being filled with the Spirit, specifically and especially by what a lot of churches and pastors have pushed forward and the agenda. But being filled by the Spirit enables you to sing. Being filled by the Spirit enables you to be submitted. Being filled by the Spirit enables you to be thankful in all situations. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to make you more like Jesus Christ. That is His goal. And Jesus Christ never went around speaking in tongues, never went around doing things, you know, out of the ordinary. He, yes, he, he did miracles. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you see, when you believe in me, you will be able to do greater things that I can. And we'll talk about that some more. But when you think about it, well, I can do greater things than Jesus. Really? Well, let's, let's kind of look at that a little bit. Can you raise somebody from the dead? I mean, that's about as great as I can think of anything. Now, let me see you do something greater than that. If you're going to take that verse that literal, the way it's, it's stating it. You do greater things in, in scope, not in specific. You do greater things in more. Jesus was limited. Well, actually, Jesus limited himself to the place where he was at. He sent us out. <clears throat> and now we are touching all parts of the world. Greater things. People getting saved throughout the whole world. Greater things of ministry. Greater things, not in specifics, but in scope. Because when you think about what he's done, and, and if you're taking that verbatim, the way it's stated, then you got to stop and think, okay, well, um, yeah, Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Can I do that? Well, first of all, no. Can I do anything greater than that? Well, definitely not. Because I think, if anything else, can you raise yourself from the dead? That is probably the greatest thing anybody has ever done. I can't even do that. I can't even raise myself early in the morning sometimes, let alone from the dead. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to proclaim the Word of God. The book of Acts, transitional. Get the Word out. And everything else, Paul is saying, okay, and all the other letters after that, this is how you got to live it out. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, once again.
for sending us the Comforter. And you know, you've called him the Comforter because he comforts us in our times of trouble. And he comforts us, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for that comfort that you give us, especially when we don't know what to do next. You give us the calm assurance that, that God is still in control, especially in this world when we're experiencing so many things. As I spoke with a friend of mine this last week, we both stated that the older we get, the more people that we know are dying. More and more. And so, Father, we know that our time is coming as well, and we're not going to stay here forever. And so, Lord, we have to be in, in sync with you. And Holy Spirit, you comfort us. And you know that as this outer shell is passing away, these jars of clay, that our inner self, our spirit, is growing more and more. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill us, that we allow ourselves to be filled, putting ourselves aside, emptying ourselves of, of who we are, our pride, our ego, and dwelling on your word. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for that calm assurance. Give us direction in all things, as always, and help us to, to dwell upon your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. May the Lord be with you. All right, and we will be seeing you guys next Sunday, I hope.